Since 1965, the ACEC Life Health Trust has provided innovative health care benefits and services to ACEC member firms. We offer a variety of benefits to meet the unique needs of your firm, including fully insured, level funded, stop loss, and ancillary products. Visit our website at aceclifehealthtrust.com to learn more about our affordable employee benefit options for ACEC member firms. Backed by the financial strength of the ACEC Life Health Trust. Welcome to the Engineering Influence Podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies. My name is Diana Alexander, and I am your Director of Private Market Resources with ACEC. And I'm back with another monthly update on a specific private market. If you're following our monthly updates, we're aiming to provide members with market-specific insights, trends, and an economic outlook for each of our private markets. Last month, we interviewed Aaron Jodka, Director of Research for U.S. Capital Markets with Colliers in Boston, Massachusetts. And during that podcast, we focused on the life sciences sector specifically. And we discussed venture capital and NIH funding, as well as hot geographic areas that are poised to see the most robust growth in the future. Uh, if you missed that podcast, you could always catch a replay. And to sure, ensure you don't miss another one, uh, please make sure you subscribe to the Engineering Influence podcast, which can be found on our website at acec.org. Now, Today, we will continue with our monthly update with a one-on-one interview with industry expert Dinushka Nanayakara, Assistant Vice President for Forecasting and Analysis at NAHB. Dinushka, welcome and thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Diana. Thank you so much for having me back again. Yes, absolutely. So just really quick for our members, for those that are not familiar, uh, NAHB is the National Association of Home Builders, and it's been referred to as the voice of America's housing industry. Uh, They represent the interests of home developers, builders, contractors, and other associated businesses. So if you are a part of our Land Development Coalition at ACEC, uh, this podcast is for you. Um, Danushka also oversees the activities of the forecasting and analysis section of the economics group at uh, NEHB. Um, This includes market analysis, industry surveys, and developing and maintaining national, regional, long-term, and remodeling expenditure forecasts. Uh, So pretty impressive. also holds a bachelor's degree in economics and uh, business administration from Otterbein University and a master's in applied economics from Johns Hopkins University. Um, And a fun fact, uh, Dinesh was born and raised in Sri Lanka and in her own words, an island paradise in the Indian Ocean, (laughs) which I'm sure is where we all wished where we were right now. Yep. <laughs> so, so the reason we're talking with Danushka is because it has been over a year since we looked at the latest housing update with her. And for those that recall, ACEC interviewed her in February of 2021. And I wanted to reshare with our listeners just briefly where the consensus of the housing market was at that time before we jump into forecasting with her. So um, the hot points were that the residential market was the hottest market in 2020 and 2021. Uh, there were ripple effects of a booming market that bled into community infrastructure, which included uh, roadways, K-12 through 
12 schools, water, wastewater. Uh, there was a hint of a slowdown uh, anticipated for 2022, which is where we are now. Uh, there also was the trend of geographic growth in the Sun Belt and migration from Western states into the mountains. Um, and then finally, this demographic change and this growth of the millennial generation who now became, you know, they're looking to buy their first family home. Um, so, Dinoshka, this market is getting a lot of attention right now and has been since COVID-19, frankly. So let's unpack this here for our members. So here's my first question. Um in 2021, when you met with ACEC last, the housing market was booming, uh, but a slowdown was kind of hinted at in 2022. Was that accurate, do you think? And where are we headed now? For once, I think it was accurate because <laughs> not that we you know, anticipate how much things were going to change this year. It's the fact that, you know, the 2020 and 2021 was extraordinary years um, in terms of home building, right? We had like, 13% growth um, in 2020, 2021 for single family starts. And 2022 is shaping up to be something different because we're actually talking about as if like we are in a housing recession right now because all the indicators are pointing to a, a considerably uh, low, uh, slowdown at this point. So we are expecting single family housing to be a 13% decline this year, below a million. So it's very different because housing is a very interest rate sensitive industry. So we are seeing, you know, the effects of the mortgage rates increasing at this point. And then, of course, you know, the construction cost increases have been a huge issue since the pandemic. Um, but I must say, though, that was single family. Multifamily has surprised us. Multifamily construction has been really strong. In 2021, the year ended at 21% over 2020 wow. for multifamily. And we are expecting a further 17% increase for multifamily starts this year. So it's over, for the first time, over half a million units. It's like 550,000 units um, for multifamily construction, which is really, really strong. Um, it's primarily driven by the the low vacancy rates and the high um, rising, interest, uh, rising rates, uh, rental rates. So that's what's keeping multifamily really strong. So single family slowdown, multifamily strong, but taken together, um, we are expecting a housing decline for this year. Okay. Um, you know, in our, you mentioned uh, inflation and interest rates and in our current economy where we're kind of living quarter to quarter and watching what the GDP is going to do and questions like, are we in a recession? You know, you said in the next year, this is what we're looking at, but what changes have you seen even just the last few months in the housing sector that we should be aware of? Oh, goodness. Uh, I think almost every housing indicator is slowing, um, sign, showing signs of weaknesses, you know. So I think the biggest thing is um, our flagship index, the NHB Wells Fargo Housing Market Index, is down the last eight months. And this week was the August number came out. It's at 49. So this is the first time since May 2020, the index has fallen below the key benchmark of 50. It's at 49. Um, and also, we saw in the index, like when we get the survey results, that the buyer traffic number was at 32. It's the lowest level since April 
2014. <laughs> so, you know, exception is, of course, the spring of 2020, but it's the lowest traffic number since April 2014. And also it showed that 19% of the builders are reducing the home prices uh, in order to increase some of the sales or even limit the cancellations. So the median price reduction was at 5% for those, you know, of the builders who are reporting such incentives. And get this, right? Almost 70% of the builders are saying it's the higher interest rates. That's the reason behind the falling, the housing demand, which is which is absolutely true, right? It's very, buyers are very, very cautious right now. And we saw that the single family starts and permits are now both below million annual pace. And, you know, it came out this week as well. New home sales have plunged um, below a 600,000 unit pace, uh, lowest level since October 2018. And then, of course, combined with existing and pending home sales, they are all showing a you know picture of a weakening um, housing sector. So that's what has changed in the last few months. This is you know earlier this year, the pic- it was a completely different scenario, but things have rapidly changed at this point. Yes, this is very interesting. And the data is extremely timely, it feels like. Um, There was a a piece earlier you had mentioned uh, about cost of materials. So another hot topic in the housing market is supply chain and the cost of steel and lumber. Um, So what can you tell us about that? Is that still persistent as worse, getting better? Um, The lumber prices have gotten better compared to last summer. Last summer, it was over 1500 per thousand board feet um, of lumber. The average has been before the pandemic around 350 to 500. So 1500 is really high cost. But and also at the height, it was adding around $30,000 for a single family construction just because of the lumber impact. Right now, the lumber prices have fallen about half. So the impact is around Mm $14,000 on a single family home just by the lumber. $14,000 is still a staggering cost increase, right? Right. When you think of like, it's not just the lumber, it's steel, aluminum, copper, um, ready-mixed concrete. Everything has increased. Um, So all of these together. But one good thing is, you know, the Canadian lumber tariffs have been reduced in half recently. So that should help uh, with bringing the cost of lumber down further. So we were esti- we are estimating, I think, the construction material cla- cost ha- will show will slow down to around only twelve percent, as opposed to the twenty percent that we've seen last year. Mm-hmm. So here's a question, and uh, I'm going to use the B word, bubble. <laughs> So if you were working in the home building industry in 07 and 09, and you remember what happened in the Great Recession and and that bubble popping, um, the construction labor market was one thing that took a, a direct hit, right? So has the construction labor market in particular recovered from that recession? And what are the impacts on, you know, that in the market now? 
So, yes, we have recovered to the point that we actually need construction workers now in the industry. So the June numbers from the BLS shows that there are 334,000 open jobs in construction. So this includes residential and non-residential. Um, it's it's cooling off. The labor market is cooling off. You know, uh, last month, the job openings rate were over 400,000. So it's cooling off, but still, we still need over 300,000 people joining the construction trades, right? So, um, you know, attracting skilled labor is a main objective for our builders. And along at NHB, along with the Home Building Institute, we've done an analysis, you know, just to keep up with the industry growth and the, you know, the people leaving the industry for retirement because, I mean, let's face it, it's an aging labor force, right? Right. We need more around 61,000 new hires to join the construction trades every month every month do you know anyone looking for a job because because we need people joining the construction trades you know um the great recession like you mentioned was absolutely devastating right to the housing industry many left the labor force for good Mm -hmm. and we have an aging labor force where the young people are not really interested in going into trade schools um and not in the construction trade um and then we need more women um, hopefully joining the construction trades, you know, mm-hmm. women make up around half of the labor force, but in construction, they make up only around 10%. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the last point I want to show is that, you know, we kind of need a sensible, like a bipartisan immigration policies, even on a temporary basis to bring in workers because we lack workers. So what happens is if we don't have enough workers, the wages has to go up, right? Because it's Mm -hmm. an imbalance in the supply and demand. So, yeah, we we have recovered in the construction labor, but we really, really desperately need people to join in. I mean, I think that's something a lot of our members uh, managing these firms experience and have been for the last year. And it was one of the primary topics in some of our CEO roundtables at our national convention in D.C. this past spring is this labor shortage. So I think everyone's feeling that pain point right now. Um, Sticking on 2008, why should we not be afraid of another 2008? I think there's two fundamental um, changes there, right? Different. In early 2000, there was a lot of overbuilding happening. There was so much activity. There was so much building happening. Uh-huh. We just didn't need that, right? Yeah. Um, right now, what has happened is the fact that, you know, the Great Recession was absolutely devastating the housing industry. We are actually at an underbuilding at this point. This last decade between 2010 to 2020, we are severely underbuilt just to keep up with the population demand. So we have a, at NHB, we estimate the housing deficit to be around a million units. Um, Freddie Mac estimates it to be like 3.8 million units. So it's a staggering number, right? We need to, we have a deficit. We need to be building around 1.5 to 2 million units for housing, but we are not anywhere close to that. Mm-hmm. So the that's the biggest difference, the housing deficit. And also on the lending standards, there was a lot of loose lending, right? Yeah. Before the Great Recession happened. Yep. So now it has completely, it's different. It's much different. Um, they are very strict about uh, the lending standards. So we don't expect the bubble to burst, but there are exceptions too. There were some markets that might 
um, experience price declines, but this is not going to be a national phenomenon like we saw in 2008. Great. All right. Are there any market signs that we should be watching or our members should be on the lookout for? Um, I would say just be cautious, you know, just be cautious until 2024. You know, housing is a very interest rate sensitive industry. Sure, it is showing weaknesses right now. But I think as the economy slows and as it recovers, I think the housing will become a leading leading indicator, leading the economy out of this slowdown as well. So it's a, it's a very business cycle um, kind of, you know, the housing and the business cycle goes hand in hand. Um, right. So I would say watch out for the, you know, the numbers. The HMI is a great number to look at, the housing market index, mm-hmm. because it's a forward-looking indicator. And um, the housing starts, that shows, you know, like how much the, for the next 12 months, what we are expecting. And I would say that, you know, pay attention to the demographics too. Right. Because for the next 10 years, each will show that, you know, that the millennials are driving this huge demand. But then what happens when the Gen Zs come? What happens when the Alpha Gen comes? Because they are much smaller population cohorts mm-hmm. compared to the millennials, right? So that means that the demand for housing is going to be less um, right. when they come out of age and wanting houses. So it's just something to think about, you know? Mm-hmm. So as we um, start to wrap up here, I did have a couple off-the-cuff questions that you and I had actually discussed that I think our members would find very interesting. Um, We talked about the migration trend out of these urban areas into these suburban um, locations. And one I found interesting was there was a mention of Western migration into the mountains and into Colorado and Idaho. And there was such a trend there. What's going on there now? Is it still hot or not? I think uh, Apple and Google and Twitter are putting a stop to that, right? (laughs) I just saw Apple saying that three days mandatory in the office starting September 5th. Um, So that the big companies, Tesla, Elon Musk told people to quit, leave their leave uh, <laughs> Tesla if they don't want to work in the office a minimum 40 hours, right? Mm-hmm. So I think people need to come back to the office. Um, so that means, you know, like Idaho saw the largest population growth in any state in 2021. Mm-hmm. People were migrating to Boise especially. Um, you know, that drove up the home prices there. But now that the people are now need to go back to offices, you know, it's going to change. Um, that migration, you know, people need to go back to their normal pre-pandemic lives yeah. again. So, yeah, it'll be really interesting. I'll be really interested to see the population data when it comes out early next year for 2022 mm-hmm. to see which states and metro areas lost more of the population. I bet it's going to be those mountain states that people are just going to go back. So Very interesting. And we will make sure to keep an eye on that as well. Um, I also wanted to make sure our members knew about um, the HBGI that NAHB uh, has as a resource. Is that something that you could just tell our members about briefly that they know they can access it and what it's actually telling them? 
Yeah, so this is what we did for the home building geography index. We took out, took all the permit data from every county in the U.S. and aggregated it according to population cuts. So there are seven regions. So this was really awesome for us because when the pandemic happened, it really showed us that the migration from the high density areas away from them to the more um, outer suburbs and the more rural areas were growing. But now the shift is back again. Now the cities and the urban areas, you know, the, the permits are getting um, higher in those areas again. So we can see the patterns of the home building, what's mm-hmm. happening across the country. It's on our website, nhb.org. If you go to the econ tab, we have all these indexes, plus, you know, the HMI, the affordability index. We have such great resources. Do check it out. You know, and if anybody has questions, feel free to email us. Awesome information and a very valuable resource as well. Uh, Final question, you know, as companies look forward to the forecast, is there anything else you can share with us about what's next for the 18 uh, months ahead in the housing market? I think even if we are in a kind of a downturn right now, we do expect the uh, the housing sector to recover in 2024. Mm-hmm. We are forecasting over a million um, single-family units and um, around 520,000 multifamily starts in 2024. Yeah, so it's going to be a couple of two. This year, next year will be slower. But 2024, we expect the housing market to go back to trend. Okay, great. So hang on to 2024 is what I'm hearing. Uh, Be optimistic. (laughs) That's right. Uh, So that is about all the time we have for today. But before we sign off, I did want to mention for our listeners um, about another upcoming event we have. We've almost wrapped up the agenda for the last stop of our 2022 private symposium tour. Uh, We're looking to focus solely on the energy market this time. And we'll be traveling to Houston, Texas on Tuesday, November 15th for a half day of program from about 7.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. Um, and it'll be held just south of the Energy Corridor in Houston. Uh, we'll have industry experts to discuss overall uh, economic landscape for the energy market, followed by a deeper dive into EV, energy storage, hydrogen, ESG, and renewables, both solar and wind. Uh, so we're still finalizing details, but if you're interested, we'll provide a link uh, to the event page in the show notes. We hope to have registration op- this, open this week if you're listening to do today, uh, or you could, can subscribe as well to the private market industry briefs and you'll be notified when registration opens. Uh, we are limiting this to under 100 attendees to encourage networking, so you will want to make sure you register soon. Uh, again, thank you, Danishka, for providing your very knowledgeable market insight to us today. Thank you so much, Diana. It's been so awesome. Thank you so much for having me again, too. Absolutely. And hopefully we will take another look in 2023. Uh, Can't wait. <laughs> absolutely. Thank you, listeners, for joining us on another Engineering Influence podcast from ACEC. Talk to you soon.